All right, Ward, I'll be ready whenever you are. Your presence is all I seek. Your royal God upon me. I surrender at your feet. All right. Well, Shabbat Shalom. I'm glad all of you guys are here. Um, it's a, another wonderful hot Shabbat here in Arizona. But let me go ahead and open up in prayer and we can get into the study, okay? Father Yahuwah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for another, another wonderful day, uh, the day that you set apart for us to enter in, and we do enter in and delight to do so. Father, be with us today as we look at your words and empower uh, each of us with your wisdom and your insight that comes from you, Father. We thank you uh, for your love and mercy that you've shown each and every one of us. And Father, uh, we just want to just thank you for all that you do for us. Amen. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> so, um, and uh, those online, I want to thank you for being a part of Living Messiah. Uh, um, you can always go to livingmessiah.com if your heart is led to donate to this ministry. Anything and all things would be, uh, is always greatly appreciated, and thank you. Um, and remember the same the same spiel that we have here. Um, comments and questions, just raise your hand. The mic will make its way to you. Just be brief and on point. And again, let's try not to get ahead of the text. So um, we are going to start. Uh, we are starting chapter four today. We started, I think, two verses last week. Um, does did anyone remember like somewhat of the homework I was handed you guys or told you about? Class, Bueller, Bueller, that time, you guys remember? It, it was to look into Shechem, okay? So hopefully some of you did. I won't call you out, all of you, for not doing it. Um, <laughs> but so what, uh, and that's what we're going to kind of discuss today. So um, last week re we read the first two verses, so there's no need to go over them. So let's get into John, uh, John 4, and we're going to begin today at verse 3. Okay, and he left uh, Judah and went away again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaron, Samaron or Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaron called Shechem, near the piece of land Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's fountain was there, or well, was there. So Yeshua, being uh, 
uh, wearied from the journey, was sitting thus at the fountain. It was about the sixth hour. A woman, a Samaritan, came to, to draw water. Yeshua said to her, Give me to drink. For his taught ones had gone off into the city to buy food. Okay. So what I want to do is I want to talk about Shechem. Okay. And there's a lot of reasons, as I, I think you'll see as I go through this. Now, some of your translations might say um, in verse 5, um, so he came to the city of uh, Samaria, uh, or the city of Samaria called um, Sakar. Does some of, any of you have Sakar in your? Yes. Uh, now, Sakar, uh, when I was looking at it, it's, it's, it seems to be all in this general area of Shechem anyhow. So, but most likely, it's probably another name for the town of Shechem. Um, that's, you know, actually it's near this well, Jacob's well that's here. And I did look back uh, on this. Uh, the Sakar means drunken, whether that ha plays a part to the, this whole thing or what that's insinuating, I don't know. Um, but uh, back in, uh, you know, this Shechem goes back a ways. For instance, I have Genesis 33:18, and Jacob came to... Uh, uh, Salem, a city of Shechem. So here, this uh, 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 Shalem is also uh, uh, crisscrossed with uh, Sakar. So it might be a city that's uh, there. So I don't know, Jerry's not here this week because he knows more like a lot of the geographical setting. So let's just look at the Shechem as a city, but it's in this general area known as Shechem where we're going to be talking about. So if we stick with the idea of Shechem, and I think it's, it's probably, it's better to stick with Shechem anyhow. Shechem, the word itself means back, or, or shoulder, or even shoulder blades. Uh, the upper part, uh, the upper part uh, of the back is what it's uh, what the meaning of Shechem is. So before we get into the, like I said, this story, let's. I'm going to get some background on Shechem. Its geographical location and some of the events that took place in around this area, because I think, because we're going to be reading about the the Samaritan woman at the well. And I think all knowing what happened there thousands of years before or previously helps us under, understand the conversation that's going to happen, okay? And I think that's very important that we do that, at least to some extent, okay? Um, I don't want to scare you that I'm going into all this huge detail, but it's just going to be somewhat of an overview of some things, okay? So... Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about Samaria and Shechem. Uh, the Galilee area is to the north. Judea is to the south. And Samaria is right in between uh, 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 this. And it's interesting, because uh, remember, most of Yeshua's ministry was up in the Galilee area, but he often came down to Judea for what? To go to the temple because of the feasts, okay, that are mandatory for anyone who's following Messiah, okay? So here's a little bit of a, uh, I enlarge in a little bit right in there, right there. You can see that dot. That's where Shechem lies. 
So this, the city of Shechem is located in the hills of Ephraim, Ephraim and, and many, many things played out here in, history of, in the history of Israel. It's located in, uh, the, obviously, the center of the, the nation, which there's important crossroads that come there, and I won't go over too much about the crossroads except to say that um, the city of Shechem lay, uh, lays along the northern end of the, the way of the patriarchs or the highway of the patriarchs, okay? Which, is tra uh, uh, which travels from Shechem through uh, Shiloh, which was where the tabernacle was from the, very, in, from the beginning. Um, then it goes down to Bethel, A, Ramah, uh, and down to Jerusalem, then Bethel. And then it ends up like down in Hebron. Okay, And these are all important places. Uh, if you recognize some of the names uh, when you're reading your Bible, you'll come across the, uh, a lot of these places. Um, so it was a path uh, that was traveled quite often. Um, so this route appears continually in the biblical text, okay, of various people traveling uh, on this, the, the way of the patriarchs or the patriarchs highway. So because of its location, it had a lot of traffic, you would suspect, right? Um, um, and that being the case, then a lot of, like I said, a lot of events took place that we find in our scriptures. Shechem first appears in the Hebrew text when Abram, not Abraham, but Abram, okay, enters the land of Canaan. It's the first city to which Abram came to. Here, Abram built an altar to Yahuwah, and um, there, Elohim confirmed his promise to give the land to Abram. Okay, that's significant. It really, really is significant. And I'm saying that if you're following, there's a lot of the narratives that are in the, the Bible, but one of the major ones is about Abraham and what he did. Because ultimately, however your theology ends up today, he's the father of your faith. Okay, so we got to know what our forefathers were doing and the importance of that. Okay. Then Jacob came to Shechem after he re returned from uh, Padan Aram. Jacob built an altar there, and, and he named it El Elyon Israel, meaning El, the El of Israel, the God, the God of Israel. He also dug a well for, his, uh, for many of his herds and his flocks that he, that he had. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was raped by a man named Shechem, the son of the ruler of Hamor, uh, and that's where uh, Levi and Simeon, they used circumcision as a, a way to uh, decis or, uh, deceptively with, uh, um, with the, the men of that village, and all the males circumcised themselves, and then they came in and sliced them down in revenge uh, uh, for... Uh, for Dinah's uh, rape that had happened, okay? And that's even where Jacob said, you make me, because of what they did and how they went about it, you make me stink in front of all those that are here in the land. So one of Joseph's last memories before his brothers sold him, uh, sold him uh, was one of them would have been Shechem in that same area. Later, uh, and then also later, 
um, he, uh, he commanded the, his bones to be carried back and, and, and to be buried there in Shechem. His tomb is still there today. When I visited uh, uh, Israel, that's one of the things. We're actually this mountain where Abraham uh, was, um, uh, possibly built his altar. He, Abraham would have been in view of Shechem, okay? And we got to, and we, we never went down into Shechem for various reasons, but the, um, his, uh, Joseph's tomb is still there in Shechem. Uh, Jacob, oh, uh, because, and why that's interesting, because Jacob and his, uh, Jacob sent his son Joseph to to Hebron to check on his brothers as they kept flocks in Shechem, okay? So that's where the the connection with Joseph's, maybe one of his last memories before he ended up in Egypt was in Shechem. And this is the important part that I want to focus on. And the important part, I think, uh, at least for this study and what we're looking at, and, uh, of Shechem. Okay, and it has to do with the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of curse, uh, Curses. So remember when I was talking about Abraham, when um, he built that altar and he was being promised about the land? Abraham was visually, uh, he, he, his, I, uh, how do I say it? He was able where he was to easily see these two mountains. And that was back there a ways, and you'll see why. So, so, so after Moses brought the nation, okay, uh, out of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt, okay, Elohim, or God, commanded Israel to enter the promised land and go to Shechem to pronounce the blessings and the curses on the, on, of, uh, of the covenant, on the newborn nation, okay? Joshua, or Yahushua, okay? Remember, Joshua say, shares the same name as our Messiah, okay? And, and I think that's always interesting when you see this. So Joshua did this and divided the tribes. Half stood in front of Mount Gerizim and the half of them in front of Mount uh, Ebal. From Mount Ebal, they shouted the curses, if they disobeyed the Torah, the instructions, the covenant, and, from, and um, from Mount Gerizim, they shouted the blessings if they obeyed the commandments. So on Mount Ebal, jo- uh, Joshua built an altar to Elohim, and, I, um, and he put up a pillar of stones, and he wrote a copy of what? He wrote a copy of the Torah or the covenant right there. So already you see the important things that are associated with Shechem that are going to be behind when Yahshua is talking with this woman at this well. And one thing I wanted to emphasize that you see here about these blessings, it's, it's quite clear in the text, blessings if you obey and curses if you disobey. It's, it's black and white. I don't know how else to put it. It's very clear in, in the text. Okay, so at the end of the conquest, when uh, uh, Joshua gathered the whole nation to Shechem again uh, to remind them of the blessings and the cursings, they themselves pronounced, okay? They themselves were saying that. No different at Mount Sinai. All that the Lord has said, we will do. 
You notice the pattern isn't changing. And my suggestion is the pattern will never change. Okay? Okay, then he set up another stone in Shechem. Okay? So... And I have that, just so, you know, uh, so we can read it. And the people said to Yahushua, uh, Yahuwah, our Elohim, we serve, and his voice we obey. And Yahushua, uh, uh, or Joshua, made a covenant with the people that day and laid on them the law and the right rulings in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the Torah uh, of Elohim. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak that was by the set-apart place of Yahuwah. And Joshua said to all the people, See, this stone is a witness to us, for it, for it has heard all the words of Yahuwah which he spoke to us. And it shall be a witness against you, lest you lie against your Elohim, against your God. Those are, that is some pretty powerful verses right there. So, but this is the very section. Remember, we sing about that song. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord, right? That statement is in the context of this. So... Anytime you hear that on the radio or you're singing that, remember it's in the context of the Torah. All right? Obeying his voice is right here as well. Remember a couple uh, weeks back we talked about the voice. And the voice pops up again here. And it happens to be associated with the Torah and the commandments again. So Yahshua uses this statement. statement. Remember the statement? My sheep hear my voice. He is clearly relating it back to at least here and all those many other places where the voice of the Lord was heard. They heard the voice and they did. And again, the context is the Torah. So this large stone or rock is the foundation for building the family of Elohim or the family of God. Joshua sets up this stone. And what's it say? The stone has heard you and will witness against you. And remember, the Lord is our rock and our salvation. Is Yeshua not your rock and salvation? I see he's quite clear. He is that rock, so he has heard you. Because heaven and earth will witness against us. That was from the very beginning. The heavens, that's him, his commandments, and the earth. And the earth testifies on how we behave because the earth is either going to allow us to stay here or vomit us out. John. Sorry, Paul, you had to get up. So it's interesting on that verse 27, there's a stand on all of Tav. This chapter has three of them, I think. Anyway, it's uh, Shema. At all the words of Yehovah. Shema, stand on the wall atop, all the words of Yehovah. I think that's interesting. Awesome. Thank you, John. So, as you can see, this pattern, the way Joshua was speaking, and remember, he was the one that uh, 
uh, how to go, uh, Joshua was the servant unto Moses and then took over, uh, took over that position. So Joshua is doing the same things that Moses laid down in the same pattern. Mark. So let me see, John, if I understand what you're saying. So you're saying that our passage says, for it has heard all the words of Yahuwah. And you're saying that the it is the standalone Aleph Tav, which is Yeshua. And we know that he's the rock, right? He's the foundation stone. He's the rock. And yet he not only has heard them, but he has spoken them. And so we see that the commandments were written on stone that went into the Ark of the Covenant, but they're also written on this stone, and it says that it is going to be a testimony or a witness to us. These are the places that the words of God has been written, but Jeremiah says they're going to be written on another place. Yes. So if they're going to be written here in our hearts, we're going to be the testimony as well and the witness. Yes. Thank you, Mark. So, so you can see, um, as, we, as we move forward here and we see um, uh, Yahshua, or the Messiah, talking with this woman, how important all this background is, okay? And there's much more, obviously, as you guys know, okay? I'm just touching upon little things here, okay? So, the land of the Samaritans is located between Judea and the, and the Galilee, which is within the borders of the land allotted to the sons of Joseph, okay? Ephraim and Manassas, okay? Because that plays a part, especially as we get closer to with, with Yeshua and his mission and the things that, how, how he was going about uh, certain things. Yes, sister? Yeah. This stone was a literal a literal stone or was a symbol of Christ that, that was for a witness? Um, I, I'm not sure. I can't tell you exactly how uh -huh. big it was, but I would imagine it was pretty decent because I've seen, they're, they're called Stellas, I believe, you know, uh, of, other, uh, of other ones that have been set up, and some of them can be pretty, pretty big. Yeah. But was it a symbol of Christ or... It was just symbolic, the stone. Oh, no, I, I, it, I, I wouldn't say it was just symbolic. You know, I would say, okay, the commandments are written here for us, for them to see and to do them. Because All right. He said the stone was going to be a witness. It, exactly. Those, what, those things that are written on there are witnessed against us. Oh. Or for, you know what I mean? They were so written. Yeah, they were written. Oh. So when Yeshua is referred to as the rock, then we got to go back and think of all those places. Well, he's that rock. He's a physical man. And what's written in him? The same things that he's teaching us to do. You know what I'm saying? And then in turn, we are to be, like Mark was saying, we are in turn to have those written in here and be that rock as well, you know, in what we do. Thanks. I don't know. Does that make, did that make sense? So Yes, Paul. She asked initially if it was a literal stone or just Oh, symbolic. I thought you said little or, oh, okay. I apologize. I didn't catch that. <laughs> I was like, it was this big. No, it was. <laughs> okay. Okay, so a little bit of uh, maybe just homework on Shechem. 
Okay. Currently, Shechem is called Nablus, and it is not occupied by Israelis. Yeah, it is occupied. It the is, occupiers are occupying it. Yes, it, and Israelis are not welcome there. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about earlier about the promises made to Abraham about this land, and if we stand on the promises of God, which I remember we used to sing a long time ago about standing on the promises of God, our Savior. Uh -huh. Remember that song? Okay. I don't think we really realized exactly all that encompassed until actually being there at Shechem and seeing that God's promises are yet to be established and fulfilled that he made way back when. So one of the corrections we have made in our own, um, it's maybe a little borderline, um, in our own vocabulary, is that we no longer call that territory anything other than Judea and Samaria. Correct. Politically, it is called um, by another name. And yes. we just don't even acknowledge it by, that, by any other name other than this is the land of Judea and, and Samaria, Samaria promised to Abraham by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, yeah, maybe it gets a little political, but... These are God's words, and if we are, from a Christian standpoint, we all need to be in support that this land belongs to, it's been deeded, it's been given to a people, it belongs to this people, and in no way do I feel like we can support any boycott or anything else against a promise God has made to his people. Yes. No, uh, thank you, Polly. And Polly makes another, uh, I'm going to take it uh, 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 in this direction as well. When, you, um, when something has a name and you change the name of it, you can ultimately change things. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, for, well, we see that so much in the society today. You know, they just reword something or use another word on something that seems softer or different, and then you ultimately can change the course of things. So that's why I think it's important to look at it. It's Samaria and Judea is the land. Uh, Mark. So the, the steel uh, that Rafi was mentioning is a stone. A lot of them that they wrote on were about the shape and height of the ark that's sitting there. So it was a, a narrow, tall stone that stood up. And uh, so they used it as like a tablet to write on. And so whether it was that tall or wider, it had to have been big enough to put the words of the covenant on it, for sure. So, and big enough that not just the average Joe could pick it up and cart off go, hey, I want one of these, and say, I'm gonna go put it at my house. It would have taken a lot of people to move it, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... It was a common practice, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Mark. So, um, oh, Paul? And just a side note, this is just ramblings, I guess. When it comes to stones, how they're used in identifying throughout history, boundaries, property markers, establishing territory or legal ground or even covenants, like there's still land in the U.S. where you can go and you look for a property marker, you're looking for either a stone that's been a carved stone with an engraving or a mark on it, or you can find cornerstones 
Uh, you look at any of the historic buildings that were built by the government, they are usually are stones that are set in place that tell you the established year and who and what was done. So that's one thing. And then like when you were talking about names, names usually establish dominion and subjection. So whenever you look at like when Babylon captured people, they renamed them to establish their authority, their over, authority them. Yeah. over them. Yeah. So names and stones and boundaries, whether it's a cornerstone or a monument stone or a testimony stone, all serve as something for future generations. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Paul, because that brings to mind, because he's talking about boundary stones in back east, I've seen a lot of them. And what are they? They witness that this is here and this makes a mark, you know? So you can, uh, it, it's, and it's a concrete thing. You can see it and you know what it's saying, you know? So, uh, it, so, it, when, so when we're reading our scriptures, I, all these things play a huge part in for us to understand. So, um, so with uh, the Samaritans and Samaria, okay, um, because of the, the friction, okay, cause, uh, between uh, uh, Judeans and the Samaritans, okay, the way around Samaria for uh, Judean travelers to Galilee took twice as long. This was done, obviously, to avoid going through Samaria, which was more dangerous. There was friction between these two people's groups, okay? And I'm not going to get into all of them, but just a couple of them, because that plays, again, a part in the conversation. We probably won't get till next week. So everything we're going on, you have to remember this and then bring it next week, okay, in your mind. Samaritan Israelites oppose, one of the differences, oppose the worship of Israel's God in Jerusalem. Okay, and we see that that plays a part real soon here. You know, uh, they believed instead it was to be Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing was to be the mountain uh, where the, the Jewish or the Ju uh, Judean Israelites looked to Mount Zion, which would be Jerusalem as the place of worship. And that is where the temple was in Yahshua's day as well. Okay. The relationship between these two, uh, the two groups were sharp uh, disagreements. Samaritans believed that their version of the Torah was the original version, uh, version, and the Jewish Torah was edited version changed by the Babylonian Jews. Okay? Those in Judea claimed that the Samaritans' Torah was edited to reflect the views of the Samaritans here. Okay? But... Uh, both, this is the interesting thing, both followed the Torah of Moses, okay? The difference was on how they should obey it. And, and like I said, there was many other differences as well, too. Yes? He wanted to know what chapter and verse are you on right now. Oh, what, I'm, I'm just reading some historical context, but we're in John 4, verse 3. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. There's, or, yeah, that's where we started. One, two, yes. So this gives us a little bit of background. And, and, and you can see, remember that story, uh, the Good Samaritan, because you guys all remember that from Sunday school or from whatever background you come, or if you had any background in the scriptures, that's one of the stories you've heard, you know, uh, the Good Samaritans. Now I'm going to bring back to, to, to your minds that Jacob's well was there, 
uh, they buried the bones of Joseph, uh, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt. That was there in this area. Okay? So let me see. We have some time. Uh, yeah, we still got a little bit of time. So let's start looking into this, this story now. So, as it goes on, and Jacob's fountain was there, Jacob's well. So Yahshua, being wearied from the journey, was sitting thus at the fountain. It was about the sixth hour. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Yeshua said to her, give me to drink. For his taught ones had gone off into the city to buy food at this point. The woman of Samaritan, uh, Samaria, uh, therefore, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, okay, a Judite, okay, ask me a drink from me, a woman, uh, a woman from Samaria? So already, you, that makes sense from what I shared with you. The, there was a friction going behind, between the two. She obviously recognized Yeshua in some way. And just in my studies, one of them is like, oh, we could say, oh, maybe it was the Zitziot that he was wearing or whatever. Well, remember, the Samaritans followed the, the Torah of Moses as well. So that may not have been the case. Maybe it was, I, I, I'm, I'm just putting out things. Maybe it was just the, the difference in dialect, okay? But there was something that this woman knew that Yeshua was uh, Jewish or from, uh, the, from that side of the family, so to speak, okay? So, um, for the, for, then it goes on, for the Yudim, or the Jews, do not associate with this, uh, the Samaritans. Yeshua answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of Elohim, and who it is who is saying to you, give me to drink, you would have asked me, and he would have given you living water. This is just the beginning, at least I hope, of a lot of interesting things that we're going to look at. So with some of our time left here, all this background that we just went over is going to play a part in understanding this conversation. Especially, you know, this conversation with a woman and about the Messiah too. It's going to give us insight into Yeshua as well. So let's go to this idea of living water, okay, and get some background on living water. What does that mean? I tend to try to go back and see where it's been defined for us already and try to, instead of adding new theology or new ideas, which they may not be a, a bad or off, it's just if I think at first we should go back to the foundation of where those terms were used first in the context as well. Um, Jeremiah 2, we find this from the prophets. For my people have done two evils. They have forsaken me, meaning Yahuwah, the Lord, the fountain of living water. And they went and hewed for themselves their own cisterns, their own things of holding water. But they're cracked, which do not hold any water. I don't know. I would like to think it this way. 
the father saying from the very beginning, this is Jeremiah, guys, you're getting way off track here. I'm the living water. You're doing your own thing, filling up your things, calling it living water. But look and see, you guys are cracked. You have nothing and you're not even realizing it. That's, I'm really paraphrasing a whole bunch there, but that is in one way that we can see it because Yahuwah is that living water. And then in Jeremiah 17 has this about living water. It says this, Jeremiah 17, 13. O Yahuwah, the expectation or the hope of Israel, all who forsake you are put to shame. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken Yahuwah, the fountain of living water. Wow. So this idea of this living water that Yahshua is using is pretty interesting. Now, I did read, read but I couldn't track for sure uh, on this, and I apologize. I did read that the Samaritans only hold to the five, five books and not the prophets. I'm not sure. Do you know much about that, Mark? Yeah, because uh, I, I was reading some commentary, but I couldn't go back and double check it. Okay, so if that's the case, we can't really use any of these prophet portions if the Samaritans, if that is the case, if they don't, they haven't read it. So what I'm sharing with you uh, from these prophet portions wouldn't mean anything to the Samaritan woman, except for maybe an awesome phrase. But at the same time, I believe Yeshua does, or Messiah does two different things at the same time. It easily is for us as well, because we do see it that way, okay? That's just, uh, just a thought. Uh, yes, Joe. In the context, when uh, she would ask, said unto her, if you knew the gift of Elohim, mm -hmm. and who it is who says to you, well, why did he ask her if you knew? Evidently, she did or she didn't know. And when he said, give me to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, meaning eternal life. But to uh, assume that uh, she knew or didn't know, what background does she have that she could have possibly known? Exactly. I'm glad you're going there, because if we don't get it to this week, that's exactly what I want us to do. Don't make assumptions just quite yet till we get through almost the whole story and some of the background. And then we might not know exactly, but I think we can um, make some better um, evaluations of the text. Uh, let me put this forth right now because uh, I would imagine a lot of you have heard preaching on this already. Uh, you know, And I, I read this one thing from this one gentleman, and he... And I kind of, I'm going to his direction, and it's based on this assumption, because we've heard maybe in the past, the Samaritan woman, uh, and I'm going to go real quick here and get back here, but, you know, she, has, she had five husbands and blah, 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 and all that type of stuff, in the sense that she was a sinner, all right, and Yeshua is here to save her. Well, yes, I see Yeshua is here to save and redeem, that's always, but some of those, like Joe's pointing out, I think we're assuming a whole lot that she was a nasty woman. And as we get through here, we're going to look and see, is there any evidence to support 
that, that claim. And then what it's going to do is hopefully open up to a lot of other deeper spiritual things that are in the story and for us as well and understand the Messiah in the conversation as well. So another place, this living water, I believe this, uh, yes, is Zechariah 14. So whether uh, the Samaritan woman was associated with the, the prophets uh, um, uh, or not, we are, right? So Zechariah 14, 8 says this, And in that day it shall be that living waters flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea in summer as well in, as in winter. Now, what's so interesting in this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, this is future yet. Because right after that, it talks about those who do not come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Any nation that does not come up to celebrate the, uh, the feast of Sukkot, they get no rain. That's future. And that's in our prophets who we accept as truth from the Almighty. Now, if that wasn't enough for, since we're going to focus on us a little bit here, because uh, we're running out of time, but I do want to finish at least these slides here. Um, Revelation 7 has this, and I just came across this last night. I was watching uh, a video on something, and it was this completely different than what I, uh, he was doing something completely different. He had mentioned this. I'm like, oh, I had to go check it out. So I had to add it because I think it's very important. Revelation 7, 16 says this, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, either shall the sun uh, strike them, strike, uh, strike, uh, strike on them, okay, nor any heat, because the lamb is in the midst of the throne, shall shepherd them and lead them to the fountains of what? Living, water, uh, living waters of life. And Elohim shall wipe away all our tears. It says their tears. So I think that's kind of interesting how Yeshua, or at least we can look at how Yeshua is using this idea of living waters, sitting in a well, offering it up, we can find it in the prophets, and we can find it in the future as well. He's the awesome rabbi, I tell you. <laughs> How he does this is amazing. It just, it's, it's interesting. So uh, let me see. And the one last thing here I want to share with you before we close. Uh, this sixth hour, and then I was doing some research on it because there's a lot of commentary out there. Well, there's contradictions going on in Scripture. And they're using time frames to, you know, uh, tell you that. And it would seem that that would be the case. It's really, it seems like that would be the case. But I mentioned this before. John seems to go by uh, the reckoning time of a Roman day of reckoning of hours versus the other gospels. Okay, so we have to think about that. Uh, so, and that, and that pops, that's one of somebody's arguments on it. But... It's clearly makes sense if you look at the different uh, day of reckoning or how uh, the author John is using uh, the, the hours of the day. So the sixth hour, the sixth hour in the evening, it is not likely that this was the afternoon. 
okay, because he was weary. It seems like they were weary, okay, that it was not a, an unusual, that, I'm sorry, that was not an unusual hour for drawing water, but six in the evening was, okay? That didn't make sense, did it? So it, it was a time that they, what I'm saying is the, the sixth hour would be in the evening time, and it was a typical time that one would go draw water. And we have a witness in Genesis 24, which is actually going to play an awesome witness in what's happening here as well. The evening is described as the time of when women go out to draw water, okay? Oh, and I don't have that up just yet. So what I want to do is stop, stop there. And this, this time, because we're going to look at this uh, sixth hour, because this sixth hour, when they, the evening go out and bring in water, it matches up more with John as far as the time frame. And it actually matches up with someone who came to a well. And many of the patriarchs met their wives at a well. So next week, we're going to go further with that and looking into that. And then we're going to really, what I'm trying to do is really try to understand this story um, in more depth. So let me close in prayer. And you got to bring back all this tomorrow in your, or next week in your minds, okay? All this information. Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you that your words are true. Your way is, has, is tested and proven. And Father, we thank you for the, the mercy and the favor and the compassion you show on us on helping us to resituate our lives according to you. Father, we thank you again that your words became flesh. He is dwelt among us, and that is your only brother, son, Yahshua, who we see as our Messiah and our King, the Redeemer of all Israel. We thank you again. Amen. Those online, thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone here. Uh, Shabbat Shalom, and I'll see you next week, okay?